From the advertising media capital of the world, New Milford, Connecticut, wherever that is. This is Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, a bi-weekly-ish podcast about all things automotive marketing. Now, here's your host, Matt Wilson. All right, another episode of Mostly Automotive Marketing by Matt Wilson with Matt Wilson, whatever you're going to call it. It's probably the only podcast about the automotive industry hosted by somebody who didn't want to host a podcast and used to work in radio. It's very niche, but thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. We're always talking about automotive marketing, mostly, sometimes other stuff. Always about marketing in some way, though. Uh, And one of the things I want to mention towards the end of this podcast, I'll come back to this, is I saw this on LinkedIn. There was a dude at uh, a dealership group. I won't mention the group because it's not fair to call him out, but he's the general manager at a group and they posted boasting about how their sales were for the month. And I'm going to tell you about what they posted and why I think it's a little tacky coming up at the end of the podcast. But uh, my guest today has quite possibly the coolest agency name that uh, I've ever heard, which is kind of how I found him on LinkedIn. The uh, agency is called Caffeine Marketing, and joining me now on Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, the co-founder of Caffeine Marketing, Evan Knox on the pod. Hey, Evan, how you doing? Hey, what's up, Matt? Thanks so much for having me, man. Listen, man, I think I found you by, I was just searching um, agencies, trying to find some people to talk to for my day job and for the podcast, and there's a lot of agency names out there, right? There's like like I work for silverback advertising, but there's cheddar and pop fizzle and volcano. Everyone's got a cool name. Every agency has got a clever name. If it's not the name of the owner, like it, like, like, you know, named after their last name, then it's, then it's a a kind of a a clever name. Uh, and caffeine is right there. Uh, so I I guess first off, how'd you get to, before we talk marketing and the good stuff, how'd you get to the name? Like, why isn't it just Knox advertising? It, That's a cool it name. Almost, well, it kind of was for a little bit. It's so funny. I was dying on the inside when you said that because my my grandparent, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. I mean, as far up as I can track back, they all were. But my grandfather owned a jewelry store in Atlanta called Knox Jewelers. You know, so Knox Jewelers, really creative, right? right? Yeah. And when I started my agency, I just wanted to get like boots on the ground. Let's get going. You know what I mean? So I was like, all right, let's just call it Knox Media, and then we'll we'll start from there. And immediately, I hated it. Like I formed the LLC and I was like, this is the worst. I hate right. introducing, like, even if I've gotten poised, you know, I'm like, it just feels weird. So, yeah, right. Knox anyway, Media. I, hey, Evan Knox here. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Evan at Evan Knox. Oh, it was ridiculous. Yeah, um, I already named his company after himself, right? Yeah. How narcissistic is that? <laughs> Jeez. But, yeah. I don't know. I just felt like entrepreneurs, uh, small business owners, we all run on a lot of caffeine. And, right here, buddy. You know, that, yeah, you got it going on right now. Stoke cold I got brew. it in the corner over here. Uh-huh. And yeah, I just felt like it would really align. It, it could fuel business growth. That was kind of the tagline that I was going to do. I just felt like it was a little too cheeky for, right. that I could withstand. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Powering your business like caffeine powers your mind. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Couldn't commit to that. A little too cheesy. <laughs> Well, anyway, I like it. It's good. It's a good name. And I think that's kind of how I hit you up was like, hey, man, good agency name. Because like, like I said, it's either like I like it's like when two people create an agency is always like their two last names together, which I think is kind of cool if they have cool last sure. names. There's an agency in my neck of the woods called Mince and Hoke. 
It's M-I-N-T-Z and then H-O-K-E. I think that's a great name for an agency. Very cool. They have a cool logo and everything. But if you can't do that, then I think a clever name. So, yeah. But anyway, enough with uh, enough with talking about the name of your agency. Let's talk about marketing. Uh, you know, and, think, and um, you know, some people say like, oh, you're, not, you're talking to somebody, your topic is not necessarily automotive uh, specific. And I think it doesn't really matter because I think a lot of, I think mostly if you're talking about whether it's traditional marketing, digital marketing, social media marketing, it, it all applies across across yeah. multiple verticals. It doesn't matter. The philosophies are the same. The theories are the same. Um, so let's start with talking about, um, all right. So I think there's, there's three types of agencies, right? There's the creative agency that all they do is the creative side of it. And they're, they're, they're creatives. They're graphic designers and copywriters and thinkers and, and those the one that people. comes to mind is the two last names that you mentioned. Yeah. That sounds like a creative agency. Yeah. When it it is. just sounds super abstract. Those guys. <laughs> yeah, right. They're the it, artsy yeah. guys. And then there's like the uh, you know, we're we're in everything, like we do the creative, we do the full service, we do traditional, we do digital. And then there's like the data agencies. Like we start with data and then work our way backwards kind of thing. And yeah, there's mixes of those things. And my agency in particular, we're like, we're advertising guys. So we're like kind of on the message side of it first, but, um, through our OTT platform that we created, we're very data driven in that way. But I feel like agencies will stake their claim on it. We're the creative guys. We're the full service guys or we're the, uh, data guys. Where does caffeine fall on that spectrum? Do you think? I would like to think data. Um, right. I we do a lot of messaging, so we'll actually create all the company's messaging for them. We use a framework called StoryBrand to do that. It's like a seven-part messaging framework, and then from there, I build stuff based off what historically has performed the best and giving my clients the highest return on investment. Mm-hmm. We start there, and then we'll tweak because I that's what I care about is giving my clients a great return. Yeah, and I think that the creative agencies totally have a, a value, um, but it's not always a direct return on investment. You know, yeah. it's more of a branding thing. So those guys are actually really fun to partner with on projects. I feel like in a lot of situations, like they both have to work together, right? Like if you have the greatest tactic, marketing tactic, uh, and the greatest data, if the message sucks, then you're wasting your time and your money on it. And the other way around, if you have a great message, a great tagline, a great branding campaign, a great reputation, if you're not getting the word out there through the right tactics, then it, it's all great. But like, it's, what's it doing for you, right? I think it's a combination of those things. You can have the highest converting sales funnel, but if you only have 50 to 100 people going to your website every month, right? You're, you're not, that's not going to yeah. help you grow your company. That's not, you can't scale that at that point. So I feel you. I want to talk about mission critical things in, uh, in companies or in clients, um, on marketing plans, right? So we talk in automotive a lot about, you know, our automotive is a vertical that's not afraid to spend money, right? Dealers, uh, spend yeah. money to advertise. It's no secret that, you know, dealerships are profitable and they turn around and spend that money on advertising. Uh, but it's also easy to try and do, too much, right? Like, okay, here's your budget. I want to do this, 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 and this. You know, if a client wants to do that, what do you like? How do you rein in their spending or their expectations? Because it's easy to be like, yeah, spend all the money you want. But like you said, you want them to create, to generate results. Otherwise you're just shooting yourself in the foot long-term. You know, two things come to mind. Um, one is 
that most entrepreneurs, they do kind of like a spray and pray. They just like yes. throw things on the wall, hoping something will stick. And this is so hard to peel back the layers if you don't start layer by layer. Uh, and what I mean is like, when we create an advertising campaign, we want to start with like, let's say it's just in the game, let's just do Facebook ads. And then let's just do Google ads or layer them and see what the results end up being. Yeah. For example, one of the companies that I'm a partner in, we, you know, we bought the company in February, so a few months ago. And then since then I've like, uh, like almost three X the, the revenue of the company, which is pretty great. Yeah. However, I am not super confident where is it the Facebook ads that I can scale at this point, or is it the Google ads? And so I ended up just telling my partners, I was like, Hey guys, it's going to be kind of weird, but I'm just going to cut off the Google ads for a week. And we're going to see what sort of results we get in comparison to the previous seven days and then flip it. So I think the best thing for the, you know, when I'm talking to these clients is, Hey, I'm in this with you. Um, I'm going to give you like, get you the highest return investment possible. Let's set up all the, the tracking that we can and then remove all the other variables. It's ultimately a science experiment. And if you don't manipulate one variable at a time, you won't be able to know what's working and you might cause issues and then fix some at the same time and yeah. it just will become one big mess. It's like that show House. Remember House? On yeah. The doctor show? You, you got to know what, you know, they would change the medication someone was on and it would affect the person's symptoms. They'd be like, well, are their symptoms changing or is what, do what we do change you know, change their symptoms. And it's the same thing. Like you said, you, you got to know what tweak is making a difference because I think in the auto industry, it's the same thing. Like you said, you know, I forget what the old adage is, but it's like 25% of my marketing is working, but I don't know what 25% it is. There's like that, but some clients you can't experiment with. Like there's some clients where they're not going to be like, yeah, yeah, turn that off and see what happens. Right. They're, they're, they're not in that. Mm. See what happens mode. So do you, so do you AB test stuff with them or do you just, you know, run, cause some people aren't willing to experiment. Yeah. Right. I, I feel you there. Um, I mean, ultimately we're here to serve the client. Right. Um, if the, and I will point blank, Hey, George at Cadillac dealership, totally hear you here. Um, totally appreciate your perspective. I want to do this for you. If just want to let you know, you're probably going to waste money doing that. If yeah. that's what you want to do, we want to, we want to partner with you. It's okay. We can do it for you, but just FYI. So I think they just need to know what's at risk. I think that's too, like my agency, we work a lot with other agencies and that's how we handle it. Like, okay, listen, you want to tell us what your goal is or your client's goal is and budget. And we can recommend to you what tactics and budget we think will generate the best results. Or you can tell us what you want us to do and we'll just turn around and execute it. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's the same thing with dealers. You know, your dealer might say, yeah, okay, do, you know, you know, let me know what you think. You know, I want to sell more of X. Let me know what you think. Or they could say, I want you to send out this email blast, do this AdWords campaign and do it this way. And you're like, okay, we don't think that's the, for the best. And here's why. But if you want to do it, like it's your money, we'll do it for you. But yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and I'm in no way trying to hate on the automotive industry, but I feel like, you know, dealership owners and, you know, dealership group owners some of them have some very strong personalities. Oh yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started saying the nicest way I could. Yeah. And they think they're right and they're like yeah. so sure. And so I feel like that's where having data is so powerful mm -hmm. because you get caught in this catch 22 where you want to do exactly, you know, I mean, you want to do, you want to be, Hey, I'm receiving what you're saying. I'll do that for you. No problem. You want to do that. But at the same time, if this does not end up being profitable, you're the one responsible for that. Yeah. 
as the agency. So it's definitely a fine line to manage. And I think that I don't, I'd be tough if you had thin skin. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you see this in other verticals, but you know, a lot, like you said, a lot of times in automotive, you know, automotive and, and automotive advertising has changed so much throughout the years that, you know, a lot of automotive dealerships are owned by families, right? So you go back mm-hmm. 20, 30 years, own the dealership owned by the dad. You know, back then you'd spend $30,000 a month on radio. You'd spend $20,000 a month in the newspaper and you'd get some billboards and that'd be it. You'd be done. And guys would walk in with a newspaper ad and you'd say, ah, newspaper sells cars. Well, it's <laughs> different than that now. And, uh, you know, and I think that some dealers want to, you know, Hey, the old way worked pretty good. And it's like, yeah, but the media and the world was different then as well. So the, the the advertising Mm -hmm. has to evolve too. And so as these families turn over these dealerships to the next generation, they're understanding that and then they're adapting to it, but also dealers, dealerships are being bought up by large companies, which is a whole other, a whole other thing. Um, you know, I think that's what's happening a lot in the, in the automotive space for sure. Yeah. And they, they definitely don't mess around those large companies. They're dialed into that. They understand what drives revenue. And so, I mean, I, I, that's why they're able to do that. They they have those metrics. Um, it's very fascinating. I mean, I am not a big fan of newspaper billboards, all Mm -hmm. that stuff, radio, mainly because it's so hard to track, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't AB test that. So like, let's say you've got somebody in that scenario and you're saying, all right, great. Well then let's just cut out newspapers for a month and see what happens to sales. All right, let's just cut out radio for a month and see what happens to sales. So it'd be really interesting to do. You know, too, I think with like a newspaper, man, I was talking to somebody, it, it, uh, I'd say I was a marketing director at an auto group and eight years ago, a newspaper ad would be like $3,000, like a full page newspaper ad. Right. And then, so I've been with my agency for a little over a year. So when I left my auto group, a newspaper ad was like a thousand dollars or you could buy digital from us and we'll just give you the newspaper ad. I mean that, and that's, that's like in eight years, (laughs) how much that has changed. But eight years ago, you ran a newspaper ad every single week and you ran two on holidays. And now it, there's just, I mean, me personally, I don't have any dealers that run my accounts that run print. So, you know, how much it's changed over the years, but I think it comes back to, like you said, the trackability. Does it work? Well, you see someone holding it, then you think, okay, it works, but it, there's really no exact way to track it. You're just, it's all anecdotal. But yeah, people said they saw it. Yeah. And you could almost, I'm thinking about this thing called offline conversions. Um, it's, you can do it on Google ads, but it's really easy to do on Facebook ads and you create an offline conversion event. And this hopefully won't get too into the details here, the weeds, but you basically, you create this offline event and then you can upload data. So if somebody comes in to test drive a car, you get their name, phone number, email, and then re-upload that data back into Facebook. Mm-hmm. And you can see if they actually came from that Facebook ad. Oh, that's good. So now, cool. you know, oh my gosh, I can scale this all the way up and sell a lot more cars. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Interesting. I'm talking with uh, Evan Knox from Caffeine Marketing here on Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson. Let's talk about some of the, um, uh, you know, like mission critical, you know, things. It's kind of a broad question, but, you know, you have a new client or a prospect and they come to you and they say, I got X amount of budget. What should I do? 
there's a discovery process there that you guys have because you can't just be like, oh, you should do A, B, and C because it depends on sure. so many factors. So, yeah. so what's so what's the discovery process that you go through to determine the best way to maximize the budget? So first off, the you know we'll have an initial intake call with a potential client. We'll come up with a strategy session, and at that point, I'll propose, hey, based off your company, you're a B two C company. Uh, I've got experience with this similar industry, whichever, um, here's how we should go. But it generally looks like a roadmap and it might look like a month on each platform to reevaluate every single one. But um, we might start with Google ads and then some sort of other LinkedIn ads or other mm-hmm. platform like that and then retarget them with Facebook advertising mm-hmm. just because it's so much cheaper um, to run retargeting ads on Facebook than it would be to you know do somewhere else. So initial intake strategy session, messaging session, getting all their messaging correct, and then beta testing advertising platforms and making sure their sales funnel is working properly. In terms of the messaging session, I always, I think I have an episode from a couple months ago where I'm talking to somebody about, you know, the different, you know, like we talked about messaging and media tactics and the messaging is really like the fun part, right? Like it's fun to come up with, you know, what the messaging will be, how it's going to, you know, how it's beneficial, what the perception of it will be, to the public. Do you use the client's input a lot in that situation? Like, will you go to the client and have like a, you know, air quotes, creative session? Do you guys come up with that on your own and then present it to them? Like, how do you like to work that process? So we call it a brand script session. Okay. And that is the point in which we're creating a story in which we're going to tell in our marketing, but it's not the story of the brand. It's the story of the customer. And that the brand is actually the guide in that story. So we get a ton of input from the, you know, the client and mm-hmm. we sit down with them. Generally it's like the, you know, owner, CEO, maybe their marketing guy, whoever, um, one or two other stakeholders. And we'll walk through a couple questions in order to determine who's the per- like, who's their character, who's their main psychograph or whatever. Um, what's the problem that they're experiencing? How does that make them feel? What do we believe is just psychologically wrong about that? Uh, or philosophically, not psychologically, wrong about that. And then we'll align that brand as the guide in the story with empathy and authority. And then kind of fast forward through some of the other questions. Then we ask them, what's success look like for the customer? Mm-hmm. So when the customer buys the product or the, you know, in the car in this case, or they go in for service, what does success look like for them? Is that like they've got a re- nice new reliable ride? They're now like hit a luxury status. They're now... Um, you know, some form of aspirational identity, like when you're selling a Mercedes or an Audi, it's not really reliable transportation. It's an aspirational identity. Right. And so what are the things that we're selling? We'll work that into the messaging. And then also I think people need to know what's at risk with not working with this brand. So Toyota just comes to mind. I don't know so much about cars, but I have Toyotas and they've been great for me. So I would pitch, okay, Hey, uh, if you don't buy, buy a Toyota, you're risking, you know, reliability issues. That would be something you might want to tweak that language, but that's letting people know what's at risk if they don't buy your product in this case. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like the days, you know, I, I, got, I don't know if you remember, but back when I, uh, when I worked in radio, we would have creative sessions about like station identity and, and imaging. What's, you know, what, what do we want the public's perception of us to be versus what is it really? Right. Cause you can't tell them what the perception is. You, their perception is their perception. Uh, so we would have creative sessions on um, like ideas on how we could, 
either feed into our perception or change it. And the way we set it up was it would be like, first of all, everything has food, right? So you'd bring food and then you'd give whoever was in charge, like a water gun. This is the old cheesy way to do it. And if anybody, <laughs> I love this so far. If, if anybody said anything negative, they would get shot with the water gun from the boss because any idea is a fine idea. Like even, even the stupidest idea can lead you down the road to something Cool. So you put up on the wall, back up here, you put up like poster board on the wall that you could write on with markers and like the boss would have the water gun. Everyone else would have the food. If you're old enough and this was in the evening, you'd bring in some adult beverages. Then you'd have someone with the marker and someone would shout out an idea. What if we do this? And then you'd write it down. And if someone said, no, you can't do that because of this, then they get squirt in the head with, with the water gun. And oh my gosh. I feel like that's an old way of doing it, but I feel like it worked. Like we came we up need with to some... bring this back. This yeah. To be a Should we do it? Should you and I, again. should you and I head the, uh, the, uh, the chance to bring this back as a thing? Yeah. Because, the happy hour, um, yeah, happy hour creative strategy session. session yeah. Or, I mean, we used to do gun. it. We came up with like great contest ideas and all kinds of different radio station ideas. And so at my last auto group, we didn't take it to that level, obviously, because it's just people, you know, in radio, you could kind of do weird, wacky stuff and get away with it. But we would invite uh, our TV, our TV partner from cable and our radio partner, uh, one of our radio partners and like bring them in. We'd invite, you know, obviously my marketing team, the owners of this, the dealership, and then some people around the building that we thought were, you know, clever or funny or whatever. And then we'd all sit around and come up with ideas. Okay. What are eight things that we've messaging messages that we think we need to be getting out there to the public in some kind of, you know, whether it's radio, TV, OTT, you know, whatever the media tactic is. And let's go over those things. And we would spend, and we'd have order lunch of course, and spend two hours yeah. coming up with those things. No booze, no water guns, but sort of the same type of process. And we did it internally because we thought, you know, who knows our business better than us? We'd bring in a few outsiders for their perception of us. Um, But I always thought that's a good way to flesh out, you know, even if it's two hours and you end up with one idea at the end, but it ends up being the idea that you use for branding for the next two or three years. I always thought it was totally worth it. So here's what I would say. And I would, I would challenge you aside from the water guns and the whiskey yeah. here. Um, <laughs> How'd you is, know it was whiskey? <laughs> um, I just projected yeah, maybe. You're right. <laughs> what I am. Totally right. Is <laughs> um, that Weller over there? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I would challenge you in this. Yeah. I think that most companies and brands have the curse of knowledge. And so okay. it's not the best idea to have them come up with their own messaging without outside help. Mm-hmm. And I say that because they're an expert in their craft. They're right. a 10 out of 10 when it comes to knowledge about their own product and service. And they understand that they have to dumb that down. And so they speak at like a five or a six, but people will make buying decisions at like a level one and two. Yep. So yeah. what that means is that you're still confusing your customers and you think you're saying something that's cute and clever, but it's really just confusing to the customer. Right. So there's that. I, I will that. say, here's another interesting thing. And this is kind of off the wall here is that the current Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym that I roll at, it's like just train, it's kind of a weird subculture that I go to, um, I don't love it. And we're also moving. And so I'm thinking, I am not driving for that. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of an egotistical environment sometimes. So I'm not, not about that. And so I found a new one and I called them and I called them on the phone and it's COVID. So um, I don't know if they're open back up yet. So they didn't answer, but the entire, he basically walks through all of his messaging on the voicemail. He goes, we're a safe family friendly environment. Um, we are like, 
I don't know. He goes on and on about all this like things that they provide that's unique in that space Mm -hmm. where it was like, Hey, it's not about, it's a family environment. Basically it's not going to be about who's a tough macho person. You know what I mean? Um, And this gym is also super important. They're a Gracie gym. So they're like the top level that you can get. And so he basically runs through that entire messaging on the voicemail, which I thought was brilliant. I was like, man, you've totally got me hooked right now. Yeah, You're sold. You didn't even talk to anybody. I know. I was thinking, I told, I told my wife, I was like, I got a new gym. She goes, well, how much does it cost? I was like, I don't know yet. I gotta, (laughs) I I gotta figure it out. He doesn't have his pricing on his voicemail though. (laughs) No, he doesn't. He's very creative. So all to be said, I think that messaging is incredibly important. You have a problem. And I don't know that I'm going to bring this back to the gym that I currently train at. I don't know that they think that's a problem. And I'm not trying to hate on them, but it's, it's the coaches, it's the staff and sometimes the people there, but it's fine. Um, I like them. And so when you have a difference between what you want people to perceive you as and what they actually perceive you as you have a branding problem. Yeah. Because I would, I think dealerships, you know, really pay attention to your views online. I think that's going to be a great insight of how people actually perceive you. You know, I said something at the beginning when you were talking about, you know, uh, a business uh, almost being too knowledgeable on their industry to be able to talk at the level at which they need to talk at. Um, how? Because I feel like from an automotive standpoint, there's a lot of, um, you know, for any standpoint, when you talk about in your own lingo, in your industry's lingo to a customer. So... I don't know how to say this. I'll give you a a ridiculous example. When there's a uh, automotive industries have business development centers, right? BDCs. And those people's job is to answer internet leads and inquiries that come in over the phone. So I used to marketing departments really tightly uh, together with BDCs usually because the BDCs, the people who are talking to the most customers. Um, So I would hear BDC people say, Oh, hi, I'm calling from so-and-so. I noticed that you put a lead in on the, 2010 Ford F-150. And I would say to the BDC person, what do you mean put a lead in? Like a customer doesn't know what the heck you're talking about. That doesn't mean anything to them. And I feel like we talk in our own lingo to customers or prospects all the time. How do you get a customer or a prospect of yours out of that habit? Because that's our thing. That's not their thing. It takes a really long time and you have to have a culture. I mean, from the top, Top down. You can't just have like some guy on the team get this. The, the boss has to get this. And I used to also, I've got a, you know experience in the nonprofit world. Okay. So we would say, uh, you're using insider language. Yeah. You got insider, outsider language. We got to speak outsider. Because if we just talk insider all day, what we're doing here, we're so awesome. No one cares. They can't understand that. And they're going to need yeah. a dictionary to figure out what we're saying. So I typically will say, hey, that's like insider language right there. I'd check that out. But you're, ah, golly, I can't tell you. I have, there's some companies that we work with. One is a international venture capital firm. I don't really, I don't really know how to explain what they do, but they provide like a lot of lending for big companies or whatever. And they had a, like a global telecommunications marketing document that they've sent to us for us to work on. And I, (laughs) I had the hardest time reading it. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm a fairly bright guy. You know what I mean? And I got nothing. You're, like, you're what? trying to get investors for this. Yeah, right. So it's the difference. And you know this, Matt. 
it's the difference between selling features and benefits. Mm -hmm. You cannot sell the features. You got to sell the benefits. So if your processor or that new engine, that new 2.4 liter turbocharged four cylinder from Ford is putting out this many horsepower, they don't care. They just want to know they can get on the highway quick enough. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. What do you think um, about, uh, you know, the world is crazy right now, right? There's all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, I, without, I mean, listen, I don't talk news or politics or, but the world is totally bananas right now. Uh, I mean, just bananas, coconuts. I don't know what, did you ever watch modern family? Phil always said coconuts. That's coconuts. Um, it's totally crazy out there. So how do you talk to your clients about either diving into or staying away from issues on specifically on social media? Uh, okay. So I'll give you an example of who somebody's a brand that's done it poorly is okay. CrossFit. Um, okay. recently, and I'm not a CrossFit guy. I work out, but I'm not a CrossFit guy. And the CEO and founder of CrossFit, I think he's both, he made some sort well, first off, CrossFit didn't make any statement around this, um, new like civil rights movement. Okay. okay? Yep. So they didn't make, I don't know how, to, I don't know what the right PC word to say yeah, that is, either. but that, um, and they did not make a statement about it at all. They just remained silent the whole thing. And they got a lot of flack for that. And then the, uh, and you just have to look at their target base. It's probably got, I mean, it's probably fairly diverse. Yeah. And then the CEO makes a very questionably racist tweet. Oh, geez. And I'm not like, it's apparently it's absurd. The number of gyms that are cutting their affiliation with CrossFit wow. now. So you have to be really self-aware and what your brand's going to do. I would say don't don't hop into the deep end unless you feel like you need to, but also don't lie. I was talking yeah. to another brand where we were talking about engaging them engaging with this new civil rights movement. And they said we don't want to overpromise because we're going to keep doing what we're going to do, um, and we don't want to sit here and lie and say, hey, we're going to make a brand new change, create all this new stuff. But we also are going to support it and we are going to bring some attention that we've not had and we're going to build some systems and processes to make this a better thing. So I think you should be realistic, understand the risk, because once you put it out there, there's little to no taking it back. I think my philosophy was always like, stay quiet. Your best bet is to not say anything like from like at least from an automotive standpoint, like what like you could only only bad things no can cares. happen for, yeah. No one cares what their local Kia store thinks about it. Uh, and you can only bring negativity upon yourself by saying something either way, but yeah. that doesn't apply to everybody. Because if you think about major league baseball, there was a lot of pressure for major league base, like major league, like NFL came out and said something and by say something. Yeah. I meant like, you know, you, you post a statement on Instagram and then it gets picked up by bleacher report and it's all over the place. It's all you got to do. So NFL says something, NBA says something, hockey says something, NASCAR says something, major league baseball. I think I had the story straight. Major League Baseball waits like seven to 10 days to say anything. And everyone is all over baseball. You should have said something earlier. And I'm thinking like, well, should they have said like, what's the harm in not saying anything? Uh, I, I don't know. I just don't know how to like, I mean, they got killed for it. And they got their own problems yeah. now anyway, but it's like. And I would, um, I would say, Matt, I mean, we're both, we're both white guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think that there's a realization that we just don't get it right. um, yep. at some level. Yeah, sure. Um, and so I, 
I kind of agree with you, but I also know I don't get it. And I've got right. friends of all colors. Yeah, and right. Some of them are pretty pissed, you know? Yep. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's a good point. Interesting. I still think, to go back to your point, though, I don't think they care about their local Kia dealership. No, definitely not. But do you care about no. what Wendy's thinks about COVID-19? Yes. Because they're hilarious? Yep. Or just because you like <laughs> Wendy's? Or like, what's the reason? Wendy's is... Yeah, a- and I... Another thing is I was, I, I've been thinking to myself as COVID was going on and the few times that I was driving in my car, I had one tank of gas in my truck and it lasted me like a month and a half, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I was in the car and I'm hearing all these radio ads from local dealerships and I'm thinking to myself, you must be in a contract right now because the things that you're saying right now are just like, just want to know, just want to let you know that we're here for you. Yeah. And I'm like, that yeah. feels like a waste of money. Like, yeah. I don't know that anyone cares that such and such Buick dealership in yeah. Atlanta cares about them. Well, yeah, I mean, they miss their customers. My wife and I would always joke about the local news. I'm sure this is, happens everywhere. The local news stations in Connecticut are always like, Channel 3, here for you. And I'm always like, first of all, you have the news at the same time every day for the last 20 years. So you're always yeah. here for me. Second of all, what does that even mean here for you? Like they, they took the time to write and produce that promo. And I don't really understand why, like they feel like, well, everyone's saying something. So we have to say that we're here for you. It's like, is this supposed to be comforting? Like, I don't get it. Yeah. And it goes back actually to that curse of knowledge because you're so close yes. to your own brand. You cannot see straight. Yeah. And point. I think it's super important to have an outside opinion. Um, and for my own company, it's mainly my wife because she cares little to nothing about business. <laughs> and, and so if I run something by her and she goes, what, do you, what does that even mean? Yeah, right. I'm like, you know, she says a little sass on it. Yep. I'm like, ah, oh, geez, I thought it was good. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I got to change it again. Litmus test. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm just thinking of this example years and years and years and years ago when I worked at um, uh, Clear Channel Radio before it was iHeart. We had a big deal with um, Pure Leaf. Remember when Lipton came out with Pure Leaf, like the Pure Leaf iced tea? Yeah. I love, by the way. Uh, I like the honey. I have some in my fridge, the honey green tea. Um, this is hashtag not an ad, by the way. They don't pay me. I just like it. Um, they came out with that, that stuff. And you we can sponsor this podcast. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Why not? Um, <laughs> They uh, came out and we did a thing where we would take our country station and go to different places every week and give out free Lipton and they would meet us there with a big logo truck and pass it out. And one of the discussions they were having with us was like, how do we grow a bigger social media presence? And in my head, I was thinking like, well, I mean, I don't have the answer for you at the, the time of my career. I really didn't have an answer. And then the second part of it was like, well, who cares? Like, I love Lipton iced tea, but like, what's the, like, what's the value in me following them on Twitter? So like, I don't like, and I, and I do follow them on Twitter now, but it's because of what we do. I'm, I'm, you know, I follow brands on Twitter, but like, does a regular, regular air quotes person, not in marketing, follow their favorite brand of coffee on social media? Like, I don't know what the, what's the answer. What would your wife say? Oh my gosh. Okay. It's very interesting because we're in a lot of ways, we would say complimentary because we're very different in many ways. Uh Uh-huh. And she does not follow any brands because we, I don't know why we ended up like this, but we share a personal Instagram account. Okay. And then I've got kind of my personal brand Instagram account. Okay. And on our personal Instagram account, 
there are no brands that we follow. Really? Well, like our church, that's it. Nothing. Which she kind of runs that one. Okay. And then on the one that I quote run, I mean, I'm following all of my favorite brands. But you're an advertiser. It's actually, different for you. Yeah. And yeah. I also follow the brands that I want to buy their products eventually. So I followed Smile Direct Club for like a year. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to put money in my FSA next year. And I'm going to yep. do it. You know what yeah. I mean? I'll save some money. Yep. And yeah. I did it. And now I don't follow them anymore. But <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's hard to say, like as advertising people, I'm, I'm interested to see what they're, what other people are doing. Right. Like, so I will follow brands or agencies or auto deal. I mean, I follow like 8,000 auto dealers on Facebook because I want to know what's going on. What are they doing? But I'm like, does the average person take the time after they buy a car to go to that dealership's Facebook page and push like, and is the dealer buying a sign and sticking it on the front door that says like us on Facebook? Does that really mean anything? Is it worth it? I don't know. No. And, this is okay. This is an, an opinion that I have that Give it to is, us. runs controversial to some of my other marketing friends. Um, we, and I say this with the history that we started off just doing social media like that. I started caffeine with the vision of like, Hey, we're just going to do social media. And then I quickly realized, Oh, that does not deliver on people's bottom lines. Right. That does not grow their bottom line. If you're just posting on social media for them, even if it's like the most beautiful, best content. And we had like some awesome content it was hardly growing their bottom line. And so I'm personally of the opinion that should just be a metric that you should evaluate and keep an eye on. Um, it's also important that you have some presence on there, but you only need to post like once a week. Like you don't, you really don't need to overthink social media unless you're trying to be a social media influencer and 99.9% of us are not going to be Wendy's on Twitter. No, and 99% of us are not going to be Nike on Instagram. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, too, and this is probably goes, goes, um, against like my agency, like obviously, you know, we have social media packages and you can pay my agency to do social media and everything. And, but I tell clients like no one is going to do it better than you doing it. Like, Like from a car dealership standpoint, like you're in the building, you can take pictures of what's going on in your building. Like some of the stuff that we used to do in one of my stores in my group, we would, you know, like a couple of years ago, we would stick the elf in the shelf in like ridiculous places every day during the Christmas season in the, in the, in the exhaust pipe of a, of a GTR and hanging from the Christmas tree that's on the second level of the dealership or, you know, under the tire of the, you know, like we would do, but you know, or we would on a hot day, we went outside and see if you could actually fry an egg on the sidewalk and videoed it and put it on social media or, you know, um, a time-lapse photo of us clearing the lot from a huge snowstorm. Like that's all stuff that, you know, it's not going to sell you cars, but there's some value in it in terms of if people are on your, happen to be following you anyway, but you can't pay a company that's not in your area to do that for you. Like it doesn't like, like how can someone else recreate that from a distance? Yeah. And honestly, it works better in that regard. If you're like an e-commerce or an online business, Yeah. because at that point it's a, it's a matter of outsourcing that options that you don't have to logistically think about it. Right. And you mentioned it, Matt, but we don't, I will, I kind of refuse to sell just social media, um, like content, like marketing. organic social media, I'll call it. Yeah. That's what we, yeah. I was trying to make it. Yes. Um, so I was trying to use a different word there, not to use insider <laughs> language, but, uh, the people yes, listening are probably insiders, marketing. so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I won't sell, sell organic social media marketing Yeah. by itself. I, I, I must, you know, just to be true to my brand promise of like making marketing profitable. 
I have to equip it with something else like paid advertising so that yeah. the paid advertising pays for the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. We package it like in my agency with, with reputation management, which is huge in the automotive industry. Um, not just because it's huge everywhere, but because a lot of uh, OEMs uh, rec- um, grade their uh, franchises on their their reputation oh, online. Um, so uh, auto dealers need it. Um, and depending on the size of the dealership, how many reviews they get, their internal staffing and processing, they can't handle it in-house because it's, it's, it's an undertaking for large dealerships that get a large volume of reviews. So we'll package yeah. social media with that. Um, but I'll get, unless the client asks me, I, I'm not like pitching them like, Hey, we'll make three posts here a month and one post <laughs> here because I just don't, I, I, they can't do it as well as, as we can't do it as well as they could do it if they have the ability to do it. And right. I want them, the money they're spending with me and my agency to get the maximum amount of return on it. And I don't think you're getting a return on that you know, X amount of dollars that that part of it is costing you personally. I just want them to sell cars. And so do I think it's important? Yeah, I think it's important. And we focused on it a lot at my internal marketing department and my group, but you know, we were doing it. We had the staff, we had the people, we could execute it. I wasn't spending a thousand dollars a month on it. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the organizations that I've been a part of in marketing care so much about their social media. Oh yeah. Just, I mean, that's, fight over it basically. You know what I mean? Just disagree over what we're posting or whatnot. Oh yeah. And you get into the agency space and you start measuring conversions and you start seeing through the filter of delivering a return on investment and you go, that's like not even on the top five. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's very interesting. I'd have clients say that too, or prospects say that too in a pitch. Like, well, what about Facebook stories? And I'm like, whoa, listen, you're not even anywhere near having to worry about the cost, the content, or the return on Facebook stories. You don't have enough money to do A and B, which you need to be doing. Like, yeah. I think it's important to manage expectations and that like, oh, you know, because it's easy. Like, I let, uh, uh, did I say Facebook? I meant Instagram stories. Um, they have Facebook stories. They do. And I like Instagram and I, and I do, I like Instagram stories personally, like for my personal, like not for my business or podcast or just yeah. like personal, just for funny stuff. I find it a way to get things out that maybe I used to would say on the radio back in the day and got to say them somewhere. Um, but just because I like it doesn't mean it's right for my business or for your business. Um, and yeah. I think it's important to manage expectations in situations like that. Yep. And thankfully with Instagram stories, I mean, really you can give that to the intern, you know, like that could be a fun project for your sales guy. All you you got five sales men or women, uh, only two of them are talking to customers. You know I mean? Those other three ones are just sitting there waiting for somebody to walk in. Might as well have them do something. There's a lot of downtime in in the auto industry. There's a lot of standing around waiting for something to happen. And here's what you can do in that time, you know? Yep. Totally. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if you can incentivize it. I wonder if you could tell your, I mean, you, you want them to do their job correctly. Right. Right. But like, if you could say, Hey, if there's, we have no one on the lot, like if you create every Instagram story that you create, if it gets a hundred views, then you're going to get a $5 gift card. Something like that. Anything you know I mean? can be incentivized in the automotive industry. Yeah. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen an automotive industry pay plan? It's like nine pages long for, for sales or sales managers. It's like $10 for every time this happens and a hundred dollars for if a customer does this. And if your customer comes in and pices up their car and they're wearing penny loafers, we'll give you an extra $50. Well, I mean, you can incentivize anything. We used to do like, uh, you know, if you get X amount of, 
you know, five star Google reviews this month, you'll get, you know, this amount of money. If you get this amount, you'll get this oh, amount yeah. of money. If you get this amount, you'll be entered into the drawing to win this amount of money at the end of the quarter. Like you can, you can incentivize automotive salespeople to do pretty much whatever you want them to do. It's crazy. It's so bad. Oh yeah. yeah. It's nuts. You know, it, 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 it you know, Oh, what do, what do you want? You want people to recruit for you? Okay. Well, if you find an employee that comes here and stays here for two months, then you'll get a hundred bucks. If you, I mean, you can do anything. I think that's, isn't that ridiculous though? I just, okay. Nuts. Cause I, I worked at a, um, kind of like dealership for like, I will say a very short period. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> And I don't want to go into the details, but anyway, yeah, I mean, just the turnover is crazy. The guy that hired me was gone within like yeah, oh, yeah. four weeks. Oh yeah. I was like, what, what is going on here? Yeah. I'm part of a uh, automotive 20 group on Facebook, which is, it's like mostly like general managers and owners of dealerships. And one of the guys posted a pay plan that he put together. Like, here's my new salesperson pay plan. You know, what are your thoughts on it? And it was like a full page. Like, you know, here's what the amount of money you make on, if the gross profit is, you know, a on the car, here's your volume bonus. If you sell 10 cars or 15 cars or 20 cars, here's your bonus on back end products sold in the finance department. Here's your bonus on service retention. And I commented and I said, yeah, could you add a few more stipulations and make the font a little smaller if possible? Because the pay plan <laughs> was ridiculously complicated. Like if I was the employee, there's no way you could look at it and project where your earnings would be. Like, there's no way you could look at it and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to make 100 grand with this pay plan. Like, you would need a calculus degree to figure out how much money you would make off the pay plan. Yes, absolutely. And here's the thing. If you don't say it simply, and I honestly, if you could do a pay plan that only has three details to it, yeah. I think you'd sell more cars. And the reason is because people will actually remember, what are those three things? And they'll go, yeah. oh, okay, to do service plan. Yes. Financing. Yes. Sales. Yes. And it's, Five percent for each. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you'd sell way more cars because people actually wouldn't remember it. I don't know how we got on a pay plan discussion, but I think it's such a funny topic uh, in automotive because a, a, a you know an idea pops into a dealer's head. Oh, how can we get that done? Oh well, we'll just give them five bucks every time they do it. And it's like it's like they can't. You can't make everything the focus. There has to be something that's the focus ahead of everything else. Everything can't be the most uh, important thing. <laughs> yeah. If you stay uh, every month that you're employed, you're you right. Bonus. <laughs> yeah. If if you don't get injured and cause us our health insurance to go up this year, we'll give you $25. I mean, it's insane. The different yeah. things. All right, listen, I'm taking up enough of your enough of your time. I got a call. Matt, it's a blast, I, I got man. a call coming up. This has been fun. I you never know what you're going to get when you have someone on your podcast. You can get a total dud. Or you could get somebody who's good to talk to, and you're pretty good to talk to. I'm assuming I you. Appreciate that. I don't want to be mean, but I'm assuming you're quarantined uh, and you haven't really been going anywhere because, like me, your hair and beard seem to be running a little rampant. I'm having the. I'm <laughs> having funny the crazy the like. I cut the hair. Uh, yeah. It's kind of long though, but I definitely have the beard going. I it's longer than it's ever been. So yeah, crazy. My wife is like, get a haircut, will you? I don't know. I don't think think it's safe. I'm not leaving my house. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't want to spend my 25 bucks. It's four clips. Yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) All right, Evan. Hey, thanks, man. I I really appreciate the discussion. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Matt. You got, I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Evan Knox, everybody right there. 
from Caffeine Marketing founder and chief marketing officer. Thanks for your time, Evan. I appreciate it. At the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned real quick, I saw this on LinkedIn. Like, okay, in the automotive industry, when we hit our goals and when we're number one and when we beat other stores, we're proud of ourselves, right? Yeah, of course. There's nothing wrong with that. But I saw this post on LinkedIn from a general manager. I'm not going to say the name of the store, but it's, I'll give you, it's in the New York metro area, which is, doesn't narrow it down because there's like 8 million dealerships around this part of the country. But this dealer was number one in their ranking. And he said, extremely proud of my team in the district, sold this many new Nissans, crushed it with another this, team embraced a whole new sales process without showroom to use a dominating internet and phones to record performance. All right, cool. Rah, rah, good motivation. Good for morale. But then he posted a screenshot of the district's sales results for the month. A screenshot of the district's sales results for the month that show all the dealerships in the district. There's nine or 10. And it showed them all in order. So a couple things about that is one, I'm pretty sure you can't do that, right? Don't most uh, emails from your dom say that it's confidential and you can't share it with somebody. They don't want you forwarding that to friends, putting it online, sending it to a vendor. Like that's supposed to be private information. And then the second thing about that is, is how egotistical is that to say to the outside world? It's good internally. The manufacturer is happy for you. You're rewarding your people with some positive thoughts. It's good for morale. You know, blow it up and stick it on the wall of your conference room for when you have your sales meeting. But to post it online, and say we're the greatest, and then turn around and insult the bottom three guys. Like I'm looking at this report right now, and it has the dealership, I mentioned it was Nissan, so the dealership is number one. But if you're one of the three guys on the bottom, how does that make you feel? And that's not fair, because it's not like it's just industry people on LinkedIn, there's customers on LinkedIn. I don't know, I don't think that's right. I've seen it done a couple times from this particular person, and I think it's wrong. Nothing says we're cool. Nobody's better than us. And by the way, all these people are terrible than posting it on LinkedIn. And then on top of that, I don't think you're supposed to. I almost want to send it, send it to the guy's dom. Like, dude, you can't be doing that. That just irks me. I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. Anyway, thank you for listening to another episode of Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson. I wanted to make this a half hour and now it's like 50 minutes, but uh, whatever. If you hung in there, I really appreciate it. Another episode coming up soon. Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson is brought to you by... Wait, this guy has sponsors? Oh, never mind. This sheet of paper's blank. No sponsors. That makes more sense. For updates, info, future episodes, and more, follow on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, like on Facebook, and connect on Frackle. You guys made that last one up. That's not even a thing, Frackle. Come on.